Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 27 called Christ in the Tabernacle. Let's all turn to Psalm 84. It reads this on the outside when you come into the sanctuary. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. His faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 84 is a beautiful psalm. It is sung about the courts of the Lord. Keep in mind the tabernacle. Here's what it says. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house, the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you, Selah. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. The house speaks of the tabernacle or temple. O Lord God of, house, hear, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than what? A thousand elsewhere, a thousand outside. I'd rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Amen. When people came into the tabernacle and later temple area, this is how they saw it. Better is one day in your courts. Better to be into the, in the courts of the Lord. I've come to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. We, we were studying the Ethiopian eunuch in our men's Bible study on Thursday mornings. And the Ethiopian eunuch traveled hundreds of miles to go to the courts of the Lord. And the Gentiles had only the outer court. So the people of Israel could come into the inner court. The Gentiles only had an outer court on the outside of the temple area. It was called the court of the Gentiles. And actually there were warning signs. If you go beyond this place, pass through it as a non-Jew, you will be killed. So if you were an outsider, you were on the outside looking in, as it were. You couldn't even go into these inner places unless you converted to Judaism, which was a process including circumcision. And so you have to be pretty serious about your faith, but we won't go there tonight. And so there was this court of the Gentiles, and this was the place in Isaiah 56 where it says that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And Jesus, quoting Isaiah 56, I think it's verse 7, said, but you have made it a den of robbers. These people who are coming to seek me, don't you rip them off in the purchase of sacrificial animals. Don't you charge them exorbitant rates when they're trying to change their money to do the right thing to come and worship me. Don't you do that. This will be a house of prayer for all the nations. 
But you can see as you step back from the tabernacle and you study some of the aspects of it and you run into this place called the bronze altar, a place of sacrifice, that there's a problem. How do I get to God? Do you think that most of the world who may ask a question like that will immediately think of sacrifice? You know, this is not necessarily the most pleasant thought. A place of blood, a place where animals die, are cut, are killed. And this, this was the process that the Jews went through time and time again. There's a quote, um, just to give you an idea of what it might look like in the life of an average Israelite. In a typical case, the process begins with a worshiper who brings an animal without defect to the priest. The worshiper has raised the animal himself or paid for the animal with his own earnings. So the animal represents a true sacrifice, in quotes. In the modern sense of the word, it costs something to the worshiper and a portion of the worshiper's own life is identified with the animal. The worshiper lays his hand on the head of the animal, signifying identification with it. He then kills the animal at the entrance into the courtyard, signifying that the animal dies as a substitute for the worshiper. From that point onward, the priest takes over in performing the sacrificial actions at this altar. The intervention of the priest indicates that a specially holy person or set-apart person must perform the action necessary to present the worshiper before God, even after the death of the animal. The priest takes some of the blood, sprinkles it on the sides of the bronze altar or on the horns of the altar, depending on the particular type of sacrifice. All of these actions constitute the permanent marking of the altar as testimony to the fact that the animal has died and that in the place of the worshiper. So can you imagine if you could try to put yourself there for a moment, you've purchased an animal, perhaps raised it in your own family, and now you've sinned against God, and so now you've got to go and you've got to lay hands on the head of this animal and basically say, I'm sorry that I've sinned against you, God. And you might even whisper, I'm sorry to the animal. And then you take the animal's life and it dies in your stead. And this happens day and night, day after day for hundreds and thousands of years, animal after animal, priest after priest, sacrifice after sacrifice. And the book of Hebrews says, and these things could never take away our sins. They might have provided a, a covering. Some people believe they're symbolic. And just to give you one more example of this, Exodus and the next book is Leviticus. Go to chapter 6 and let me just give you an example of a passage to show you how this works. Leviticus 6, 1, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Here's what the Bible says. Just take a look. This will give you an example of a passage where uh, a person does this. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, when a person sins, Leviticus 6.2, and acts unfaithfully against the Lord, deceives his companion in regard to a deposit or security entrusted to him or through robbery or if he has extorted from his companion, 6.3, or has found what was lost and lied about it 
or sworn falsely so that he sins in regard to any one of the things a man may do. Pretty sweeping. Then it shall be when he sins and becomes guilty that he shall restore what he took by robbery or what he got by extortion or the deposit which was entrusted to him or the lost thing which he found or anything about which he swore falsely. He shall make restitution for it in full and add to it one-fifth more. He shall give it to the one to whom it belongs on the day he presents his guilt offering. This is one of at least five different kinds of offerings. Then he shall bring to the priest his guilt offering to the Lord, a ram without defect from the flock, according to your valuation for a guilt offering. The priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he will be forgiven for any one of the things which he may have done to incur guilt. And then the Lord goes on and speaks to Moses and says, Command Aaron and his sons and say, This is the law for the burnt offering. The burnt offering itself shall remain on the hearth, on the altar, all night until the morning. And the fire on the altar is to be kept burning on it. The priest is to put on his linen robe. He shall put on undergarments next to his flesh. He shall take up the ashes to which the fire reduces the burnt offering on the altar, place them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments, carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out, but the priest shall burn wood on it every morning. He shall lay out the burnt offering on it, offer up in smoke the fat portions of the peace offering on it. Fire shall be kept burning continually on the altar. It is not to go out. Now, this is just one example. If you ever wondered, what does this look like in the Bible? Someone blows it. They sin against a neighbor. They find something and they lie about it. They, they do something wrong. They sin, right? And what do they have to do? <laughs> they make restitution first. And let's not pass over that. In this economy, the first thing that you did, and some of you, this happened to you when you were small and you did something wrong, it could happen with a bar of soap. You said a naughty word to your parents, and they took the bar of Irish Spring, filled with all kinds of chemicals, to add to the judgment for your sin. And they, they did a little scrubbing on, on your little tongue, something that you won't ever forget. Perhaps we need to re-implement some of those lessons. Or they would say something like this. Oh, you stole something? Well, we're going back to the store and you're going to confess to the store owner what you did, and then you're going to give it back, and then if they want you to do anything around the store, you're going to work there in perpetuity. <laughs> I'm going to give you up to the store owner as a slave for the rest of your life. Oh, no! Just kidding. Maybe a week, right? Well, this is how it worked. But yet the guilt remained, because even though you made restitution to the person you'd still first and foremost sinned against God. My sin is always first against God. Now, it doesn't mean I haven't sinned against other people, but there's a vertical concern as, as well as a horizontal amends that I need to make. And this is the nature of sin. And so when people came into this place... They could come in, you know, with a sobriety about their sins. Surely, back to Exodus and we'll finish. But they could also come in with hope. Hope of what? Of forgiveness. 
I mean, if you got to the point where you had admitted something, maybe you got caught, maybe not, maybe you just felt guilty, and you made restitution, and then you went in with that animal sacrifice, it was a way to be made right with God again. But something had to die in your place, and then you would be restored into, you could say, communion or right standing with God. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. You can watch Pastor Michael's teachings in their entirety. 19 chapters later, you're off the hook. We know sometimes you hear Pastor Michael mention slides, and we have made sure you have access to all the videos from his Sunday teachings. The modern application could be the power of the sword with, for example, a police officer. Watching the videos can also be a good way to see how animated Pastor Michael can be on stage. Even if you have to gulp after you've prayed it. And Lord, one more thing, not my will. You can watch the video from today's teaching when you visit walkintruth.com. We also live stream one of our Sunday morning services. Pastor Michael prefers you attend your church Sunday mornings or visit our church, Living Truth Christian Fellowship, as fellowship is important. But you are invited to watch the 1030 a.m. Pacific Time service anytime. Jesus is coming again. Do you believe it? To watch Pastor Michael's teachings and to follow our YouTube channel for live streams, you can find the links and information on walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. I mean, if you got to the point where you had admitted something, maybe you got caught, maybe not, maybe you just felt guilty, and you made restitution, and then you went in with that animal sacrifice, it was a way to be made right with God again. But something had to die in your place, and then you would be restored into, you could say, communion or right standing with God. Now, I know that sacrifice is not what most moderns want to hear, But the tabernacle was designed in this way to show first things first. I'm reading from my notes that I wrote a little while ago. Standing between the worshiper and the presence of God was the largest piece of furniture, this bronze altar. It was a place of blood and death, and it wasn't pretty. The bronze altar reveals God's holiness and justice. There is no approaching him without a sacrifice. No ladders to climb, no good works to perform to approach God. Death is the consequence of sin. There are no other entrances, no negotiations, no alternatives, no loopholes. Upon entering the tabernacle, one is immediately confronted with the seriousness of their sin. As we uh, put up that last picture one more time, as animals are you know, going up in fragrant aroma to God, but yet they have died. There are no back doors. There's no option to choose door A, B, or C. Can I just choose and see what's behind it? No. There is a required price. And the people of Israel have already experienced this in the lamb that was slain on Passover because they applied the blood of the lamb to their door so that when God passed over, he would not kill the firstborn of each household. Amen? They already knew something about this. They had the sense of this. And now the whole structure is God saying, I want a tabernacle with you, but the problem is your sin. 
And so over and over again, we've read through the Hebrews passages, time and again, sacrifice, priest after priest, animal after animal, and still the problem of mankind remains. In some of the passages that you read about these sacrifices, they're described as a fragrant aroma, a soothing aroma that goes up to God. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says these words, Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. It is true that this was an ugly place, but it's also true that there was a beauty to it. It was a sweet-smelling aroma, a good barbecue, if you will, that went up to the Lord. 1 John 3.16 says it this way. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. See, uh, the altar of burnt offering for us is Jesus. And now the way is open. We don't have to come with an animal. We don't have to die for our sins, though we deserve it. One died for us as the lamb without spot and without blemish, and his name is Jesus. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is my lamb and your lamb. He took the fire of God's wrath. He was tied taut, just like the animal would be tied. You can think of Psalm 118, where you tie the festal sacrifice to the horns of the altar. He was taut as he was whipped. He was mistreated. He was cut, if you will, just like the sacrifice. He bled. Uh, The book of Isaiah describes him on the cross as one who you can not even tell if he's human. So brutally beaten is he that even his organs have been exposed by that terrible cat of nine tails. And when he dies on the cross and says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why? The fire of God's wrath comes upon the lamb who by his one sacrifice has forever paid for our sins. Do you know You know, I was trying to describe to you last Wednesday how good we have it in the New Covenant. Do you know that all we have to do is whisper a prayer and we have entered into the Holy of Holies? In fact, God has decided to make us his tabernacle by his Holy Spirit. That's really good news. You don't need to bring a sacrifice. It has been paid in full. The way Jesus said it from the cross is, it is finished. Amen? You are free to enter in boldly into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus. Amen? It's described as a new and living way because it is the new covenant, and it is such good news. The animal had to make the atonement in this tabernacle. The Lamb of God, our great high priest, made the atonement once and for all. Now you are free. Free from guilt free to have a clean conscience. It doesn't mean you can live however you want now. Amen? I mean, now that you're a forgiven person, you have a life that you owe to God. Not to earn your salvation, but in gratitude. Amen? For what he's done for you. This is what the bronze altar means. It points us to the Lamb of God, our great mediator. Father, thank you for some time to just consider the text before us. Thank you for the divine blueprint, the tabernacle, or the way we've titled this Christ in the tabernacle. 
Father, we're so grateful for those who are here tonight, those who may be watching or watch this later. I pray that you would drive home the power of the sacrifice of Jesus, the depth of it, what he went through, what you went through, Lord, to make the way open so that that veil could be torn, so that there would be no more of these sacrifices. These were reminders of the depth of our sin, but you have taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Just take a moment. Let the word of God sink into your soul. If you're not a Christian, this would be a great time to ask Jesus to save you. Tell him you believe that he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Repent of your sin and trust in him. If you're a believer, this is a good time to just rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the God of your salvation. His great love for you. The depths he was willing to go to to make sure you would be saved and right in his sight. And for all of us, Lord, we're so grateful that you are patient, good, loving. Thank you for the new covenant in Christ. We pray in his name and all God's people say. You've been listening to Christ in the Tabernacle, part three on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 27, one through eight. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, we have pastors on staff that would love to speak to you if you need prayer or counsel. If you're having a hard time and need someone to talk to, or maybe you don't feel like talking at all, but you could use some prayer, call Walk in Truth on Tuesdays through Fridays during daytime hours at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Once again, 844-48-TRUTH. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, the beauty of this tabernacle is that it points to God tabernacling among his people. And indeed, that's what occurred when Jesus Christ was incarnated. What does that mean? He became human. He was born in Bethlehem. He grew up. He started his earthly ministry at about the age of 30, about a three and a half year ministry with his disciples. He went around doing good. But the image here is that he tabernacled among us. John 1, 14 and we beheld his glory. The, the God of glory took on humanity. The tabernacle, the physical tent that Moses built, points to that reality. And ultimately, it was supplanted by a physical temple. We know it as Solomon's temple or Herod's temple. And then, ultimately, God will tabernacle among his people, Revelation 21 and 22, And the beauty is that we don't need a physical temple anymore because the tabernacling of God will be with men and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more death, no more curse. The first things will have passed away. Some of you I know have gone through some loss recently and I know those words can mean a whole lot as we stand upon the promises of God, even in the face of loss. Maybe you've lost a loved one and you're hurting. And those words from Revelation have become even more precious. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That day is coming, my brother, my sister. Hold on. Uh, The Lord is faithful. What he started in you, he will complete. 
And a reunion day is coming when we will stand together with the saints from every age and rejoice in our God. What a beautiful promise we have in the gospel. I pray that promise will be the anchor of your soul. This is Pastor Michael Lance. You're listening to Walk in Truth. If you're new to the broadcast, we've been moving through the book of Exodus. We've done a significant portion of this book. I pray you've been blessed by it. If you want to know more about the ministry of Walk in Truth, how to partner with us, and we deeply appreciate our monthly partners who are helping us spread the word. If you appreciate what you're hearing and you'd like to kind of put feet to that and do something like 10 or $20 a month, monthly partners are huge for us. You can donate at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. I pray you'll do it today if you're able. Pray to the Lord if he directs you so walkintruth.com. Click on that donate button. We appreciate you and deeply appreciate all of you who pray for us, who pray for me. I appreciate them. And uh, if you want to make a comment about the broadcast, something you've learned, a way that you've been blessed, even a question you may have, walkintruth.com. See you tomorrow. And don't forget that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station and provide the podcast for free. Also, more people like you can dive deeper into the Word of God and apply it to their life. Please consider becoming a monthly Walk in Truth partner of at least $10 a month or give a one-time gift. Please visit walkintruth.com to give. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 32, 1-6, called The Golden Calf. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.